The Ted Bundy tapes. Yes, please put put them through. Away we go. Joining us on the phone this morning, Joe Berlinger, who's a filmmaker and documentarian with Conversations with the Killer. The Ted Bundy tapes, that's on Netflix. And an upcoming movie, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Hey, Joe, good morning. Good to speak to you. How are you doing? I'm very excited. Well, I'm very excited because sitting in the studio with us is, is a guy named Roadkill, Joe, who is absolutely taken by by this uh, this series, this whole thing, Roadkill, Joe Berlinger. Uh, Joe, I'm three episodes in, and of course, learning a lot about this this case, this this man, this monster. Um, we really did. They, did we learn anything from this case after this was over? Did states learn to communicate with each other? Because he gets away from here, he ends up in Florida doing more killing, and nobody didn't realize they had the same guy. Angers me. Yeah. No. No. Well, you know, I mean, I think the police departments at the time did the best they could. Uh, it was a very different era in, in police work. I mean, there was no, not even fax machines, no centralized databases. You know, people solved crimes by shoe leather and, and the, tele- the rotary phone. Uh, police departments didn't communicate. Uh, in fact, there's a, there's a common misconception in the lore of Bundy that somehow profiling is what caught Bundy, FBI profiling, but the exact opposite happened. The, the utter failure of law enforcement to bring Bundy to justice sooner caused the FBI, and this is the lesson learned and one of the positive uh, aftermaths of the Bundy case. You know, the FBI created its profiling program as a direct result of the failure to capture Bundy. And Bundy, once he was incarcerated, was interviewed along with many other serial killers. You see, you see a fictionalized version of that in, in the Netflix series Mindhunter. Yeah. Um, but they, they corrected the problem as best as you can correct it, uh, you know, as a result of Bundy. But yeah, Bundy eluded capture for far too long, in part because he was charming, good-looking, persuasive, had friends. People couldn't believe that he was capable of these crimes. And that's kind of the core, enduring message of Bundy. He defies all expectations of what a serial killer looks like and feels like. And it's, you know, people want to think that a serial killer looks like, you know, Buffalo Bill in uh, Silence of the Lambs or, you know, somebody who is a, you know, weird-looking social outcast that you can spot a mile away. But what Bundy teaches us is that those who are capable of the worst evil in our society often are the people you least expect and the closest to us, whether it's a priest who commits pedophilia and then holds mass the next day, sure. or whether it's you know somebody like Bundy, uh, who people couldn't believe was capable of these crimes. Joe, i got to ask this. Now, I, I have yet to see it. I'm certainly I, I'm going to see it because everybody's talking about it, right? This has just been an unbelievable conversation, the upcoming Zac Efron film uh, as well. Yeah. But it's interesting so much so that... That Netflix had to come out and say, hey, let's not praise Ted Bundy because he's a good-looking guy. As a filmmaker and the person behind the documentary and the upcoming film, did that make you scratch your head and go, wow, that's what people are fixated on? Or were you, did you understand that? Well, I think actually what the, what Nef- the Netflix comment wasn't directly about, there, there, there's two controversies going on. Okay. Uh, you know, Netflix warned people not to not to talk about how hot Bundy was the actual Bundy from the Bundy tapes. Right. People right. were saying, oh, my God, he's hot. And that I found a little distressing, uh, you know, but it also goes with the territory. That was his enduring charm. I mean, people were showing up at the Florida murder trials yeah. 
fascinated with him like he was almost like a rock star with, uh, and, and, and were titillated by being in the same room of, as a good-looking killer. It's a phenomenon I, I still don't understand. Um, the, there also has been some controversy with me casting Zac Efron as if it was a, for the movie, as if it was a, some kind of stunt casting and somehow by casting a good-looking buff actor to play Bundy, I'm somehow glorifying him which is also criticism, you know, I don't quite understand. And I think once people see the movie, they, they will get that, we're, we're, you know, it's anything but right. stunt casting. I mean, Zach, Zach turns in an amazing performance. You know, all of the Hollywood uh, trade publications, Variety, The Rap, Hollywood Reporter, IndieWire, they've all said that this is a career-changing performance by Zac Efron. And the reason I was interested in casting him is, A, I thought he had the acting chops to deliver the performance, right? Um, you know, and, and he, he was looking to stretch himself and do something different, uh, but he was also willing, which I thought was very brave, he was willing to p- kind of poke a hole in his teen heartthrob image, yeah. and you know, I'm, I'm generally a documentarian, and so for me to latch on to the authenticity of somebody turning their image on its head as kind of the, the kind of aura of the yeah. film... Uh, to me was an interesting choice. And believe me, as somebody who has spent a lot of time in the real criminal justice system, both as a filmmaker and as as an advocate for victims' rights, for the wrongfully convicted, you know, my Paradise Lost series helped get three innocent people off a death row, one on death row, two life without parole. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I take these issues very seriously, and the last thing we're doing is glorifying the killer. But to say we're glorifying the killer because we're showing him to be charming and good-looking and not showing a lot of violence, it's because the movie is being told through the point of view of his girlfriend, who he had a living girlfriend, who yeah. thought he was wonderful and a, and a wonderful surrogate father to her, to her young daughter. And, he, you know, he escaped detection for so long because of that charm. It's this... part and parcel as to why it took so long to catch him. So it goes right to the heart of the story we're telling that we have a charming, good-looking guy who nobody thought was capable of murder. That's the whole point of the film. It's the opposite of glorification. This is Joe Berlinger, uh, the filmmaker for Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix, and an upcoming movie, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and, and Vile. And uh, uh, go ahead, Scotty. I got um, another one, too. Uh, Joe, it, Ted seemed to have had, like, a formula. There were, were certain types of, of girls that he went for a certain age, certain look, and then all of a sudden it pops up that is, there was a younger girl, like a 12-year-old Kimberly, what what made him get out of the I, I hate to use the formula that he had been doing in the in the past? Well, people actually there was another young twelve or thirteen year old girl in Oregon uh, who he everyone believed he also killed prior to the Kimberly Leach murder in Florida. That was his last killing and his most notorious one. Um, but he had this increasing homicidal rage. That's what's so fascinating to me and scary about the story. Here's a guy who escaped from prison not once but twice while being held in Colorado for murder charges. Who's lucky enough to escape from prison once, let alone twice? So you would think while he was on the lam from his second escape, he would have the presence of mind because he was all about self-preservation. You would think he had, he would have the presence of mind to lay low and not right. call attention to himself. But it's in Florida that he does his worst killings. That this voice, which he called the entity, just kept growing inside of him. And so, literally, you know, while on the lam from a prison break, 
uh, he goes and does his worst killings at Florida State University. He enters the Chi Omega sorority and bludgeons four women in a single night and then runs down the road and enters a fifth uh, residence of a college student and bludgeons her. Uh, two survived, three barely survived, and then a few weeks later he goes to Lake City, Florida and literally snatches 12-year-old Kimberly Leach uh, from the schoolyard and, and abducts and murders her. So to me it was just this growing rage, this growing sense of inadequacy, this, this evil that's just so inexplicable. Kelly, we only got a little bit more time. Go ahead, Kelly. In the major motion picture, because it's only two hours, anything you regret that you had to leave out? Um, that's a good question. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm pretty happy with the movie. We'll, we'll see what other people think, but I think the, you know, uh, I, it's just, you know, I just find it strange that, um, you know, when the trailer first came out, and I'm not a trailer maker, people said, oh, look at all the violence, you're glorifying the killer, and then some of the people who have seen the movie have said, oh, you don't show much violence, you're yeah. glorifying yeah. the killer. It's like, which is it? You know, people seem to have this knee-jerk reaction to this subject matter, but, you know, there's very, you know, a bunch of very serious people wanted to put out a very serious movie that tells a very important lesson that, you know, People really need to earn your trust before you give it to them, because those who commit the you know the worst acts are people you least expect. It's funny so. as, as a fifty-seven-year-old guy, and I'll make it quick because I know we're over time. But I, as a fifty-seven-year-old guy that grew up with newspapers doing the big exposés and the in-depth stories and the investigative journalism, it has now switched to now it's documentarians like yourself that make films that call attention to either rights or wrongs. Uh, and, and historically, we the whole sh the whole uh, pattern paradigm of how that is done has shifted, right? And now it's through films and, and uh, documentaries like yours that we expose yeah. these things, right? That's an amazing thing. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good point, and my analysis of that is because, you know, unfortunately, at, at some point along the way, news became entertainment and ratings driven, right? Uh, and, and at some point, uh, just a handful of corporations you know, started owning all of the media. Yeah. And because it's now ratings-driven, there are certain stories that, you know, news organizations don't want to tell for fear of offending advertisers. And, right. and what's happening to newspapers across this country is tragic. Uh, and there is not enough resources for investigative reporting. So documentarians really have stepped into the into the front lines of covering these kinds of stories. I love it. Joe, great. Th uh, thanks for talking to us. Appreciate it. Look forward to seeing both cool. uh, the movie and the series. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Yeah, they got it right off because we went over. <laughs> oh, is one of his answers, I was looking, was six minutes long. He was like, come on, man, let me in there. You know, it's, like, it's very interesting. Guy's got a lot to say. I'm anxious to watch this stuff. Yeah, what he says, what Roadkill mm -hmm. says, it's right up your alley. Somebody yeah. uh, messaged me. Crime shows, it's the best. All I watch, I could murder and get away with it. Laura, you could too. <laughs> Great. That's a comfort. <laughs> Comfort was it sent from my wife? I mean, I got to, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, making a murderer, all of those things, you know, they're the biggest things. Criminal minds. We had that guy on the other day, Joe Mantegna, the yeah. guy who plays Rossi. You yeah. know, how much mail and, and messages we got about that guy? How many people watch that show? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that uh, Sadie was like right out of her mind. You're so lucky you got to talk to him. Yeah. You know, he's really not a cop. I just thought... <laughs> she doesn't care. I know doesn't she doesn't. I know. We got a lot of news to catch up on. Uh, we got What's the Buzz coming up. Also, the weekly punch in the face at the end of the show. So who do you want to punch in the face? Last year, uh, last week, we did not do it. 
because uh, of the uh, the dive. We did yes, not do the punch right. in the face last week, so we uh, get your shots in. Oh, wow. And let me tell you something. Two guys, or a guy comes running at me, all right? Guy comes running at me, painted as a clown, okay? <laughs> With a machete, okay? So he's got, he's, he's a clown running at me. He's a clown. Trying to... No, a real clown. Laura, with a Laura ma- stay with me. With he's a, a clown. He's a clown. With a machete, okay? I am, real clown. I, I'm not going to take that lying down. I have an unbelievable, a couple of people there, my heroes of the day, that I'm going to present to you in, in What's the Buzz. I love these two people down in Texas who fought back against a killer clown. There was more than one of them, okay? No, really. With a machete. He was a clown. A clown? With a machete. No we'll way. do it next. He's a really nice guy, you know, but I'm pretty sure he is a serial murderer. Oh.